if it wants me to know it, it's going to have to, like, grab me by the throat and say, I exist. So we live in a world that expects you to go along, expects you to comply, expects you to do what you're told, but in a way that you're somehow maintaining your autonomy, your independence. It's like at the end of 1984, when mm -hmm. the main character is like, and I realized that I loved Big Brother. Like, after mm. they, you know, they were having the rat, like, eat his face. I loved Big Brother. And that's, yeah, the whole, like, trajectory of society is more towards that sort of reality. Kind of realizing that you go along with the regime. Yeah. Like, coming around to it. And that I, I, I just, I really like this. I really like just being put in a corner and told to shut the fuck up mm -hmm. and just enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy being screwed, being used by the system and kicked around. Told and what to think. Yeah. When to think, how to think, like everything. The speed at which to think, you know, it's once upon a time or at least, you know, based off of what I was read, it was more like just... You know, if I'm your overlord, supply me with a particular resource. And, you know, of course they would try to control your everyday life. I guess it's, you know, tyranny never really changes, but just the ability to exercise tyranny so much greater now. You know, people throw around that term, the Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. And, like, the internet will be everywhere. Or, like, uh, you know, in our conversations before, I brought up that book, Unrestricted Warfare. Like, yeah. the battlefield will be everywhere. And people cannot come to grips with statements like that. Like, nothing is sacred anymore. You will be attacked everywhere and people like say things like oh there's just so much going on i feel so overwhelmed and yet they will not cut off the amount of information that they're being bombarded with they willingly let themselves be bomba be bombarded with information well so two things about that one uh the first is shorter it's interesting that you should bring up the the not willing to cut themselves off from these things because I've recently run across a couple of posts in various places talking about how, you know, what if we just unfollowed the celebrities? Yeah. What if we just unfollowed the brands and just yeah. cut them off from having their audience, having oh, us? Damn. You know, I've already done it in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, and so that's the thing. You sit there as a person who has taken a long time to contemplate these things and contemplate how the regime benefits surely by virtue of your interaction. Yeah. It's like that classic Wint tweet, you know, in the age in which, you know, everything is based on statistics yeah. and who answers what on what little quiz, saying that you don't know what Pringles are, mm -hmm. 
counts as heroism. Yeah. Because you've basically, you've denied the brand your interaction. Yep. Um, there was kind of a, a counter to a lot of this, like, brand personification on Twitter in the past few years with the whole silence brand yeah. meme yeah. where they would respond to these nonsense dumb appeals to populist humor on twitter from these brands with a picture of this like giant emperor crab with like lasers <laughs> coming out of his eyes saying silence brand yeah. as a way of rebelling against that yeah. but still even in that moment they're engaging the brand yep. they are still seeing what the brand is giving them and engaging it even if it's in a negative engagement yeah. it's kind of like how they say you know all press is good press yeah. because they know your name. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know whether you heard about um, the recent Burger King ad. The headline of the ad was Women Belong in the Kitchen. Oh, my God. Deliberately attempting to ramp up outrage yeah. in people just from seeing the headline. Of course, they see, oh, my God. How could Burger King be making this statement? This is awful, right? But then... If you actually read what's under the headline, it was an ad, basically, for scholarships for women who are in culinary school. Okay. Women belong in the kitchen, right? But it's this <clears throat> a appeal to outrage yeah. in this thing, and the whole thing was, it totally flopped. It did not actually get nice. the outrageous response that they expected. Right. People were like, fuck you. Yeah. You dumbass. Like, you, you really think we're that dumb? Yeah. But, and this kind of came around later, they actually spent more than three times the amount of money of the two scholarships they were giving away yeah. just on that ad campaign. Oh, sure. Sure. It's absolute nonsense. Yeah. In any case, but the second thing, that's just the first. The second thing is that it's interesting that you bring up the Internet of Things yeah. as kind of a war zone yeah. as kind of a, a universal battlefield mm -hmm. because people like Slavoj Žižek have started to theorize about the the kind of communism that is arising out of current market capitalism yeah. current digital capitalism yeah. where there is this thing in digitalness in virtuality yeah. that lends itself to being uncontainable mm -hmm. that lends itself to being common yeah. and so even in capitalism's attempt to imperialize the market of virtual things they are creating the means by which they can be undermined yeah. and this kind of comes out of the fact that Slavoj Žižek believes that this is the similar thing to what Heidegger mentions in his question concerning technology. Where the greatest danger is growing, mm -hmm. there also the saving power is growing. Yeah. Because the greatest danger, the supreme danger, is creating an environment in which its undermining can occur. Sure. It is opening the area for its undermining. And so this Internet of Things, though, it, it's kind of, it is the battlefield. It, yeah. it is the battlefield. And um, Zizek believes that, like, 
capitalism will lose the battle for intellectual property. Yeah. That the idea of eternal copyright and possessing digitalness and possessing just pure ideas without like an expressed form. Like Star Wars isn't just a pure idea. It has an expressed form. It has been put into a thing, yeah. a real thing. But like the idea, the intellectual property of Star <clears throat> Wars therefore has a, a, a real object, a, yeah. a reified object that can be referred to as the thing possessed, the thing which is regulated by copyright. Yeah. Whereas something like, uh, for instance, maybe songs is the best idea because it, it, it kind of transcends the boundary between a thing that is really a thing. Yeah, it's one of those primal human things. Like exactly. You hear someone whistling a tune or singing something, and you're like, oh, I like that, and you start singing it. And no no guy in a suit who's throwing around like, well, you can't sing that without my permission is going to fucking make you stop singing the song. Exactly. Like you're going to sing the song. Whereas in the case of Star Wars, I can't just go down the street and yeah. perform Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. You know? There's a lot more there. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. more involved in that process. <laughs> well, that's um. just to briefly go back to the canceling the, the brand thing or just... With regards to, to fighting enemies, if you will, in our in our world, I think the, the, the two statements apply. Apathy is the greatest expression of hatred, and make your enemies irrelevant. You basically, it, it's kind of like the, you know, the chivalric code. You don't mm -hmm. accept a challenge from someone who's not your equal. Mm -hmm whether that is greater than you or under you. Mm -hmm. You do not accept a challenge from someone not your equal. So you you ignore them in a way. Mm -hmm. And we do live in a world that likes to, you know, if, if people get ignored, they tend to just come at you more vigorously. Mm -hmm. And that's where you do have to be self-sufficient enough, determined enough, resilient enough, stoic enough, if you will, you know, free of all dead weight that you can hack off and mm -hmm. you can let loose. You're traveling light, you're tough, you can make it work. Mm -hmm. Where that mosquito that keeps kamikazing your face, you're just not going to let it be a factor in your existence. Um, and that is very useful when you have something like a real physical opponent. And even in the realm of like political opponents, yeah. that is applicable. And yet I think that in the realm of like marketing, yeah. stuff like that, it's much less, at least much less intuitively applicable. Yeah, because it seems more inane, more, mm -hmm. it's just kind of there. Well, and it's ubiquitous. Yeah. You're always soaking in it. It doesn't yeah. matter where you go, even you with a flip phone and, you know, you barely go anywhere on the internet and no like, <laughs> social media presence. Basically Amish minus pacifism and I do like electricity. Might be able to get by without it. And you do drink. I do, I, yes. I yes. think they don't drink, right? I think. That I have no idea. Is that just Mormons? It um, might just be Mormons. In any case. Also could get down with some polygamy. Oh. I could be alright with that. 
In any case, <laughs> in any case, it's much more difficult. It's difficult even for you without all those things, without all those kind of eels on you to escape from marketing. Oh, yeah. Like, just like you were saying. Because it is the fabric of existence at this point. Yeah. If you were, well, and I think that is the precise reason why in the past I've said we don't live just in materialism. We don't just... We don't just... <laughs> Bastards. We don't just live in materialism. And we don't just live in capitalism, per se. We live in a commercialist, in a consumerist capitalism that has made everything consumption. Yeah. Like, um, I was mentioned I was uh, watching a thing on Slavoj Žižek's book called The Relevance of the Communist Manifesto. Talking about how the Communist Manifesto might be relevant to us today because the conditions of our capitalism now are so much different yeah. than the conditions of the capitalism in the 1860s. Yeah. Right? Nowadays, things have become so amorphous. Property has become, like with the virtuality, yeah. property has become so amorphous that attempting to deal with it in a blatant kind of like union strike way mm -hmm. it's not really worth it. it and it's not really effective yeah. and we live in a world that's more than anything i think founded in rent yeah. like you're renting things all the time oh, yeah. you're renting to watch movies you're renting to listen to music you're 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 renting actual property yeah even you know with my wife and i trying to find a place to live and everything renting is so much more common than i ever maybe it was a thing in times gone by but i never really re remember people saying oh yeah like i rent and that's fine and i just go on my like the goal was always to own your own house yeah. and now like everything th there, there's so many properties out for rent so our whole world is like you're saying built yeah. off of this idea of rent and that's kind of mm -hmm. one of the things that they're throwing around with like the great reset mm -hmm. is you won't own anything and you will be happy so this is the thing so i was going to get into that just from what you were saying there that now even the promise of former capitalism is being taken from us yeah. and that is the ownership of things yeah we are eternal renters even if we own the land we're sitting on, we are renting our position in the city and or the township or whatever that if they want, they can come in and take it from us, you know, and what are we going to do? Yeah. Sue them? Like, that's being undone with things like the various oil pipelines and stuff. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, this is your land? Sorry, it's our land now because we They did want it with it. all the highways. <laughs> Precisely. You've lived here forever. Who cares? Bye. <laughs> Sorry. Like, we're APG. Like, we're going to take a third of Hartford County's land and tough shit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's ours now. But beyond that, things like iTunes or Spotify or Netflix or HBO, all the, you are renting to be able to see a thing yeah. or to hear a thing. The fee that you pay 
The subscription fee is not ownership. It gives you right to nothing except for a certain period of time. Yeah. Access for this period of time. And even then, they are undermining that by creating premium memberships. Yep. We're like, yeah, you can pay $15 a month and get X, Y, and Z, but if you want the additional stuff, you got to spend out a little mm -hmm. more. But even that is temporal. Yeah. Even that is just you get it for a certain period of time yeah. until you shell out next. Yeah. So having a thing, owning the thing, is becoming more and more amorphous. Yeah. It is being taken from us. And that's like, if anything can be called the ideal of capitalism, yeah. the highest goal of capitalism, is this ability to have things yourself. Yeah. Like there's always this argument, this capitalist argument, or even like a weird centrist argument, I guess, against communism that like, oh, you're saying I'm, I'm going to have to let the whole village fuck my wife yeah. or something like that? Or, you know, I'm not going to have a toothbrush or something? Like, yeah. No, dude. Truthfully, <laughs> now, yeah. that kind of thing is happening to you under capitalism. That kind of thing is happening to you under capitalism now. Yeah. Because you don't own the things that you pay money for. Yeah. You're paying money for nothing yeah. for for a moment and that's it and and really a cheap moment oh yeah um it's like you know i've expressed to you before about my total dissatisfaction and this hit me at a i started realizing this at a fairly young age like in the tweens i was like you know at that point we didn't really have a gaming system we didn't have phones we had very limited internet access computer usage etc but you know even at that point like yeah it was kind of novel and cool to be able to get on a gaming system and play a video game and stuff i was still like i want to do what the characters are doing in real life so if that's you know i want to learn how to you know fight i want to learn a martial art well i'm gonna figure out a way to learn a martial art and my parents were, like, totally against, particularly my mother, totally against me, like, getting into a martial art because all they associated with it was, like, Eastern philosophy, religion stuff, and they didn't want me getting into all of that. They weren't even, uh, like, cautious of the violence type stuff? Or? That was, like, way low on their hmm. concern. List. It was just like, we don't want you becoming demon-possessed, you know, practicing taekwondo or kung fu or karate or whatever. But that didn't stop me. I was like, well, I'm going to use tech. Yes, I was using technology, but I'm going to use technology to seek out this information and study it myself because my parents won't let me take classes. Or same thing with firearms. It's like, I'm going to learn firearms. I'm going to learn how they operate, how to shoot them well, how to shoot them under duress, not mm -hmm. just at some friggin' stationary paper target that doesn't shoot back. I'm going to learn all this stuff. For, you know, back in the early 2000s when parkour was the shit, mm -hmm. and it was in everything, and it was awesome. I was like, I want to learn that stuff. And I still remember David Bell, the founder, one of the founders of parkour, put out this video, and it was it was so sick, and it has this great, like, early 2000s track set to it, and it looks like it's filmed with a camcorder, and it's beautiful. It's everything that YouTube should have remained and is not anymore. Mm -hmm. 
because there was actual skill involved like this motherfucker was running around everything and doing shit you only saw in movies and it was awesome and now people just like do reaction videos all the time but anyway I digress live like technology should enable you to live better not and, and more full and have more actual experiences not just like film your shitty ass boring life well and not only that it shouldn't replace that fullness yeah it shouldn't stand in the place of living yeah it shouldn't be the proxy yeah basically um and i think that is at least one of the implicit warnings in heidegger's question concerning technology it's not that technology is bad in and of itself it's not that we can never use technology to a good end. Yeah. It's that currently, and then it was like in the 60s that he was writing that, currently we are dealing with a form of technology and a comportment toward technology that is dictating us, mm -hmm. not us, it. Yeah, we're being used by the tool. We're not using the tool. Yeah, precisely. We are... Not only, and he gets into this, we're not only using this tool to set upon nature, we're not only using this technology to set upon the objects of our life and extract whatever we can out of them and turn them into pure subjectivity. We are allowing that thing to set upon us yes. and tell us what we need to do. It's in framing us into a mode of being for heidegger mode of being basically means like a, a comportment to living a comportment to, to how you exist yeah. that is basically leading you down a road to forgetting who and what you are and what living is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so with this this like addiction to technology this this worshiping it like it's some <laughs> you know you're willingly giving into it you're allowing it to be your overseer your your individual like it's like a song your own personal jesus it's like yeah. your own personal little robot god like you're you're giving it permission to reign you day in and day out, rather than you reigning it, which is sick and ridiculous, and I, re I refuse to go there, even if it means being ostracized from my society, even if it means having to work significantly more at, you know, bridging those gaps with people I interact with, they're like, well, have you seen this? Have you, you know, done this? No, I haven't, because I've actually, I've, I've done real shit. Like, mm -hmm. I haven't watched someone do it on social media or whatever. Like, I've done real shit. And I, I refuse to live vicariously through the internet. I refuse to do that. And, like, a, a big thing now with Gen Zers, you know, they, oh, God love them. They're figuring out their world and coming up with solutions to the, the, the problems they're confronted with but one thing i hear a lot of them say is you know all these youtubers i watch you know they make millions and they you know they they do all this shit just playing minecraft and it's like motherfucker 
You know how common that is? It's super rare. It's like the same thought process that has, you know, all these companies are saying, let's base all of our logistics off of rare earth metals. Mm-hmm. Keyword being rare. There's only so much of it. It's rare. And you're going to base the whole system off of that? Dude. Dude. There's yeah. going to be, a, there's a problem with that. It's going to fall apart real quick. There's an essential disconnect with what is real and with what is what is immediate. Yeah. Like, I don't know whether you've seen it, but there have been some studies recently about young people and, and like, Gen Zers mm-hmm. and what their dream jobs are. And which I hate that term. I fucking hate that term. It's like motherfucker. There is more to you than a fucking dream job. Like, job should be this itty bitty facet of your existence. God, I hate that. Yeah, no. Like, get away from it. Like, like I've told you before. Like, I will shovel shit if it pays the bills and I can live the way I want to live. Like, I do not care. And and if my coworkers aren't. God, I hate an asshole coworker. Mm-hmm. But I digress. But so, in this, in these various studies, uh, and I, to be entirely honest with you, I can't remember where I saw this. So, for all intents and purposes, take it as though I'm pulling it out of my ass. Um, that <laughs> smells like shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, but that the plurality, the the biggest slice of the pie, yeah. wanted to be YouTubers. Mm-hmm. It has actually beaten out astronaut mm. from, you know, that's the classic, like, oh, sure, I want to sure. be an astronaut as a kid. Like, no, dude, I don't want to get my face eaten by an alien or get shit out into the vacuum of space. Hell no. I'll stay right here. I want to sit in front of uh, a camera and see how many layers of lube I can put on my tits or yeah. something. One layer, two layer, three layer. It's a real thing, dude. Like, that's a real thing. What? Yeah. That's a real thing. Since when has this been a thing? I mean, I think it was only a thing in 2019 for a period of time, but there was a whole rash of videos of all kinds of YouTubers doing this, like, how many layers of thus and such can we do? Like, a hundred layers of nail polish and all this stuff. And there was some real awful... Yeah, it's it's the height of nonsense. Like, that's... Dude, that is, that is what I'm talking about. Like, go out and live, for God's sake. For God's sake, go out and live. Do something. Dude, please find something. Like, scale a cliff. Shoot a gun. Learn a martial art. Learn, like, learn how to paint. Learn an instrument. Go, you know, take up sculpting. Go just, go listen to good music. Like, listen to good music. Sit there and appreciate what the artist put out. Or refine your taste. Yeah, go out and appreciate a good film. Not the shit that you're just, like, fed. With, like, through mainstream media. Like We can, we can say Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Disney. Anything. Like, this is what is good. No, it's not. I think Marvel is Disney. Yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just, like, meaning the large, the parent group. Right? Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> the 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 parent group but so i think for the sake of um productivity might be good to 
switch to a prescriptive mode of thinking or a mode of talking. Okay. Um, because we could sit here and criticize all this stuff all the live long day. Oh, yeah. Because there is so much garbage. So much shit. There's a bottomless pit of garbage out there, and in me there is a seething bottomless pit of fury <laughs> to go along with that. So, yeah. There's, like, at least to some extent, the tsunami of filth. Mm-hmm. Though I know you intend that usually in in a more caustic yeah. way. Like, it's more of being accosted by this, mm-hmm. like, awful, like, basically Instagram pornography, stuff like that. Yeah. But there is this tsunami of filth that is just constantly washing over us. Because I want to steer the, the conversation toward what to do about that. Yeah. What to do against that. What to do instead of it. Sure. What to go toward. And I think there is a lot of fruitful discussion to be had in that. But I would like to preface it okay. with a thing that I was reading just last night in... Uh, Slavoj Žižek's In Defense of Lost Causes about the new and how the new is a recapitulation of the old. Because I think you would agree, probably more than most people that I know, with my kind of quip that modern problems require ancient solutions. And they require ancient solutions, and maybe I ought to convince you of this before just putting it out there, but they require ancient solutions in a recapitulation okay. that those ancient solutions can't be applied like they were in the ancient days sure, I mean, sure. maybe as much as you might prefer to do something Come along on. those lines yeah like you know sometimes if the people <clears throat> have had you know a uh, rebellion against you sometimes you have to just put 5,000 of them in a theater and bring in the legion to kill them all or something like that yeah. but I don't think that's really practical for right now or when bitches be twosies and you're just like <laughs> actually commit to this piece of shit yeah um we're earning that explicit <laughs> label on this one but a very brief muzzle it's like we're getting into this okay we're getting into this that's all right um but that the new has to be done in the spirit of the old yeah. and the old has to be applied with its same spirit and yeah. not with the letter of it I'm going to read a section from Slavoj Žižek's In Defense of Lost Causes from Part 1, Chapter 3, and the part in that chapter called Repetition and the New. And I think this is a way that I had not previously formulated in my thought that you might like. So, it is not only that repetition is one of the modes of the emergence of the new, the new can only emerge through repetition. The key to this paradox is, of course, what Deleuze designates as the difference between the virtual and the actual, and which, why not, one can also determine as the difference between the spirit and the letter, that is, of law. Let us take a great philosopher such as Kant. There are two modes of repeating him. Either one sticks to the letter and further elaborates or changes his system, in the spirit of the Neo-Kantians, up to and including Habermas and Luke Ferry, or one tries to regain the creative impulse that Kant himself betrayed in the actualization of his system, that is, to connect to what was already in Kant more than Kant himself, 
more than his explicit system, its excessive core. There are, accordingly, two modes of betraying the past. The true betrayal is an ethico-theoretical act of the highest fidelity. One has to betray the letter of Kant in order to remain faithful to, and to repeat, the spirit of his thought. It is precisely when one remains faithful to the letter of Kant, and he implies the letter of anything, that one really betrays the core of his thought, and that is, the creative impulse underlying it. Where basically what he's trying to say, though I think it is pretty plain in the text, that in order to bring the old into applicability for the new, it, in order to make it new in a meaningful way, in, mm -hmm. a, in an effective way, yeah. is to re-embody the spirit that created it in the first place. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That to take up not just the project as written out by somebody, say, like Kant or the Founding Fathers or Marx, because this kind of thinking applies to his relevance of the Communist Manifesto today, yeah. where he is taking not the letter of it. He actually criticizes modern Marxists that stick purely with the letter of Marx's yeah. uh, critiques. Because the world that we live in is not the same world. Mm -hmm. And so the critiques are not equally applicable yeah. now. There are pieces of it. There is a heart, yeah. a core to that critique, the spirit yeah. of it, that is applicable, yeah. but needs to be taken up not just for the sake of the letter, but almost in spite of it. Yeah. You need to not be taken in by merely the form of it. Mm -hmm. And say, I think... There is a combative oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. application. It was just running through my mind, right? Because you're saying the spirit of the thing. And Miyamoto Musashi, the sword saint of Japan, actually has this phrase. It's the spirit of the thing itself. And he keeps harping on that. The spirit of the thing itself. And it, it is in line with, I, I, you know, if I know anything about martial philosophy, anything about, you know, martial discipline and practice what he's getting at is that adaptability it's it's in line with the martial um kind of analogy of water water goes it, it flows downward it takes the path of least resistance and it um conforms to the terrain and whatever is opposing it mm. um it is never the same but it is always itself and so that's that is the problem of just to bring up martial arts because it's kind of the way I would describe it. People get stuck in this. Oh well, this is the way you know the founders practiced it, and their enemies are you know our enemies. No, they were samurai, or if you know you're talking. Karate, later you're talking early 20th century or late 19th century, you know, it, it was more of a Japan trying to compete in the Western world. Um, it was after the Meiji, right? Mm -hmm. They were trying to be Western, but not Western. Mm -hmm. And so they looked at the West and they're like, 
Gichin Funakoshi talks about in his book My Way, I believe it's called. Um, and Jigoro Kano, in his book, the Jigoro Kano being the, the founder of um, Judo, mm-hmm. he actually came up with the belt system, more or less, that everyone's familiar with. It was this attempt to create uh, Japan's version of boxing, right? Because mm-hmm. they looked at the West and they're like, boxing is like the Western sport. So in Japan, you had karate, and its practitioners were trying to say, karate is going to be our thing. And there were the practitioners of judo who were like, let's make judo our thing. Mm -hmm. And they've competed against each other for a while and whatever. But that, that doesn't matter. But the point is that there are all these martial traditions that are still like doing defenses against like a guy wielding a sword we don't use swords anymore but it doesn't mean that the technique can't be tweaked in order to say deal with a baseball bat you betray the letter of the sword in order to more fully embody and apply the spirit of dealing with long weapons yeah yeah it's like you know, in kind of the whole system that I developed for myself, Kyubeki, I break it down that way. Like, it's long stick, it's short stick, and it's knife. Mm-hmm. And those are the three weapons, like, the host of weapons that you could deal with, whether it's a hammer, or a, you know, a pull stick, or whatever fall into those categories at the heart the form of these weapons is the same yeah there are categories of weapons that Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to conform to a specific letter of weaponness you know it doesn't have to be a sword in order to be a long weapon but that's my approach to problem solving it has been heavily influenced by my involvement in more, like, reality-based and combatives training, Mm -hmm. it has to be principle-based. It must be principle-based. Because I've seen firsthand what happens when a martial artist is like, well, he didn't attack me with a single-edged knife in this specific manner, and I couldn't apply this specific technique. Dude, you are creating a fragile system for yourself. I was at the urinal, and I was attacked, and there was no urinal form, so... Yeah. So, fuck, what do I do? Yeah. Whereas when you're dealing with principles, principle says, oh god, the guy's behind me. So first I have to turn around. What is the most defensive posture I can assume whilst turning around? Mm-hmm. We'll go with that. It won't solve all problems in existence, but guess what? Nothing else will solve all problems in existence. So, and I don't mean to cut you no, off in your talk about combatives. To bring it back to a philosophical understanding of things, this is something that I'm trying to do in at least my readings of philosophy. Yeah. And like I said, though I had not formulated it in the same way that Slavoj Žižek had just there as clearly as that, at the heart of my understanding of something like the questions concerning technology, especially having to do with 
like very modern technology. Uh, And in this paper that I'm writing, I am taking Heidegger not just in the pure letter of his word. I am attempting, as far as I'm capable of understanding, of taking the spirit of his intention and using it and using his words where useful to lead to a certain end. Because truthfully, though in the question concerning technology, Heidegger is not making a real critique of capitalism. And in this paper that I'm writing, I'm also not making a blatant critique of capitalism. Sure. At the heart of it is an applicability to capitalism. Yeah. The concept of anthropoquantitativism, right? Yeah. This dumb big word is capitalism. Yeah. It is anthropic and it is quantitative. Yeah. It deals yet yet a similar conception of things is possible under something like let's call it a deficient form of communism because in a pure materialist communism you have the same thing you're dealing with people and numbers and you're dealing with people as numbers basically you're not dealing with them as people how many of them are dying how many of them are starving to death how many of them are fed how much food do we got how much resource xyz do we have right it's all quantitative none of it has anything to do with the quality of life and so though right now because of the the momentary applicability of this to capitalism i am kind of making it turn in that direction but i think its versatility is necessary i think its versatility is invaluable because it critiques any system that is deficiently anthropocentric, regardless of whether it has any such thing as capital in it. It's just that right now, the kind of world that we live in is a capitalist world that doesn't just make economic statements. Because we we tend as laymen and as regular people going about our daily lives to categorize things very neatly to do this kind of Lockean idea of this idea goes over here and that idea goes over here and never the twain shall meet except for in some kind of weird uh, like professional forum like Facebook yeah go fuck yourself exactly (laughs) but like they're just gonna kind of bump up against each other like bumper cars or something there's never gonna be a meaningful synthesis of Mm -hmm. these two ideas but in the proper modern conception of capitalism, of world capitalism today, there are not just economic statements being made. Capitalism is no longer, just as communism wouldn't be and shouldn't be, merely economics. It is a thing that makes metaphysical statements, if only implicitly, if only by suggestion. You know, we create a world in which really all you and everything you will ever do or own is good for is the numbers that it generates. That's a metaphysical statement about what your being means. That's a statement that is a declaration of like, you are a number to me. It's like Stalin's famous saying, you know, Mm -hmm. one death is a tragedy, a thousand deaths is a statistic. It's true. You take the humanity out of it because you create pure numbers yep and the human mind cannot fathom such numbers 
Um, which is why I I don't put so much credence in the expression of uh, crimes against humanity, let's say, in numbers. Like when people talk about crime or mass shootings or, you know, people dying of a certain unnamed disease that we won't mention because fuck the government, you know. Beer. Yeah, beer. Um, or tobacco, let's say. They like to throw these numbers around and first statistics are such a such a, a, a like bullshit thing for me it's the same thing as saying well if this guy attacks you in this way with a single edged knife and everything has to be just right for your formula to work you know let's say alcohol you know i've consumed shit good bit of jameson tonight it's pretty happening Like, I love the Irish. Um, anyway. They make good whiskey. They do make damn good whiskey. Jameson, if there's a brand I can get behind, it's you, motherfucker. You're already selling out. I love you, Jameson. But you know what? You know what, Jameson? You've been around. I got this, this giant-ass bottle right here. You've been around since 1780, so you motherfuckers are doing something right. Props to you. I love you, Irish people. Anywho. I'm never going to be able to publish this one. <laughs> so, um, shit, where was I going? Anyway, um, statistics sti and form yes. and equations. Statistics. You know, everything has to be just so, right? Mm. You know, people like to throw around, oh, alcohol can cause cancer alcohol can cause such and such liver disease yeah which that i think is pretty objective um but with a lot of things it's like okay so what what else did these people do what was their diet like mm. did they consume you know i've worked with a lot of people over the years and they drank soda like it was freaking air and sorry like a fish yeah like it's entirely artificial it's got a crap ton of sugar and we know that excess of anything isn't good for you but sugar even more so um and like did you exercise did you get enough sleep did you drink enough water did you you know eat a lot of you know vegetables a lot of fruits a lot of meats you know did you stay away from those crops that you know civilization has tended to just stick on and you know modify into kingdom come like you know soy or wheat or you know cows or chickens you know they just beat the shit out of it until it you know it's more machine now than that yeah. um did they did they analyze the human the whole human or did they just say oh he had a lot of booze and that's why he died of cancer the whole living and no, because that's the time and financial constraints of any study. But they throw these... See, I wouldn't have a problem with studies if they didn't talk about themselves like they were God. Mm. Like, oh, well, we did this study. It's like, motherfucker. Like I've they're done... coming down from the mountain. Yeah, like, I've, I've done a lot of studies myself. 
in person, mm-hmm. firsthand, seeing people do things and not do things, right? And most of the people I talk to, it takes a good bit of convincing. Like, I'll throw in the, the, the martial arts stone or coin or whatever token I'm using at the moment. Everyone says, oh, yeah, that's, you know, great and all, but I don't think that'll work. I'm like, all right, all right, let's go. Put it to the test. Yeah, and those are great. See, I love that about the martial arts world, at least the more combatives, reality-based world. Because it's like, okay, all right, it ain't bragging if you can back it up, so back it up. Like, I want to see it. Well, and I think this is the precise limitation of something like political theory mm-hmm. or social theory or any kind of complex thing. Yeah, any kind of complex thing, but especially anything that attempts to be making a statement about a practical application. Yeah. Um, for instance, one of the common criticisms of Kant's morals is that technically under Kant's moral imperatives and things, like, you have to do X, Y, and Z, you have to... Well, the, the moral, the categorical imperative is pretty straightforward. Always treat the humanity both in yourself and in other people always in, as an ends and never as a means. Yeah. But then also um, treat everything you are doing, treat every maxim that you make, as though it were a universal law. The issue is, under certain conditions, Kant would require you to not lie to a murderer asking where your family is. And that is... You can suck my dick. Exactly. That is where the practical application of his philosophy breaks down. Mm -hmm. And I think this is uh, where one of the spirit pieces should be brought out and used and the spirit of the thing is of course a duty a morals based on duty not based on some kind of weird you know pie in the sky idea of what a virtue is or anything like that or 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 even pure consequentialism or anything like that but that you should have and i think you would agree with me duties that you fulfill there is a thing that you do whether you want to or not because it's a duty. Yep. You do it. Yep. But there is a certain boots on the ground moment mm-hmm. where consequentialism rules and yeah. duty goes out the window. Yeah. Where big decisions, which are and should be defined by duty, the arc of your life, the arc of even a situation should be defined by duty, when you come down to grappling, Consequentialism is what reigns. Because what you want is the proper effect. What you want is the right outcome. Is an outcome that would be in alignment with the spirit of the duty, but not necessarily the letter of it. And I think that's a... And I don't take credit for that kind of formulation at all. That's just something I've been thinking about recently. Because there, there is this kind of holistic approach to ethics and practical reason that you have to take in order to avoid becoming like a weird sophist 
in order to become uh, not become some kind of ivory tower pronouncer. Because yeah, that's great. Because when you're an ivory tower pronouncer, mm-hmm. you are that person saying, "Well, when a guy attacks me with a single-edged knife, I do ABC and it works." No. No. Because you're in your ivory tower. The fact that you're in your ivory tower negates your existence. And I think, if anything, that is a kind of um, moral foundation that you and I share. Mm-hmm. And I am happy to admit, not happy to admit, but uh, willing to admit yeah. that I adhere to that far less than you do. You have a much stronger general willpower than I do. But that, at the very least, we agree on the idea of duty and overarching structures yeah. of responsibility. Yeah. But that when shit hits the fan, there are certain things you do that aren't necessarily in line with duty. Yeah. But that are, truthfully, in examine the correct law, are in line with the spirit of that duty. Yeah. Because you have an outcome that is correct. Yeah. It's like I was saying the other night, you know, regardless of whether or not we're under, you know, say, uh, we're living in a capitalist system mm-hmm. or a communist system, for me, I say, okay, the, I'm playing a different board game now. The rules are different. Mm-hmm. But... Any human, I think, if they're in their right mind and they're trying to provide for their community, mm-hmm. are going to be like, how do I maximize survivability for my community, regardless of the system? Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at it. Well, and I think that is a, a way in which you are much more of a Machiavellian than I am. <laughs> like, you tend more toward the practical yeah. than I do in, in thought and in, like, simulation right? sure. like this kind of mental game you play where you're like if this what would i do yeah because you know it's uh there's this um in this moment they have this one song called roots right and there's this part in the song where the front woman is like you know so I smile and I say that the world is just fine as these fucking parasites eat out my spine. Before that, she's like, I, I gotta do what's right for my family. Mm-hmm. And it's this, I have to perform my duty. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my community. It's like what I've expressed to you before. Cosmologically, all of us, each individual human is nothing. We don't matter. We're a drop in the bucket. We're nothing. But as far as our individual communities go are micro ecosystems if you will mm-hmm. to us they are existence well so you use the word cosmologically to, to describe this huge overarching yeah kind of plan for everything in a way of this kind of ordering yeah. of everything yeah i think and this is in no way to correct you yeah. only to add a thing i think that ground level view mm-hmm. is much more of a phenomenological understanding it's how it appears to you sure it's how it comes to you because for you truthfully the cosmological doesn't enter in because it is beyond your grasp yeah it is totally beyond you and anything that you're capable of actually affecting it's it's kind of like you know i've heard agnostics talk about how they interact with the concept of god Mm -hmm. they're like 
I, I, I'm not going to go full-blown atheist and say that I know for sure that no God exists, but that concept is beyond me. There's no way I can know it, so I'm not going to try to know it. If it wants me to know it, it's going to have to like grab me by the throat and say, I exist. That's kind of the way I look at existence. Like, if you want my attention, you're going to have to say, hey, I want your attention. Because there's already enough that demands my attention as, you know, a husband, as a future father. There's enough that demands my attention. I don't have the luxury of infinite resources. So I gotta prioritize. I gotta say, what do I need to attend to? Um, and attack those things mm -hmm. mercilessly, relentlessly in order to provide for me and my own. Mm -hmm. And make my community as secure as it can possibly be. Not to build an empire, just to say, no, we have a place in the pecking order and you're not going to fuck with us mm -hmm. without consequence. We're going to have a respected position within the pecking order. And that's the thing that I think a lot of folks have a hard time with. They're like, well, you're just gonna, you know, like, I deserve to almost have unlimited respect. Like, wherever I go, people have to, like, nod to me and shake my hand and, you know, kind of show me deference. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe in that. Because there are people who are well above me. Well above me in every possible aspect of life field you could imagine physically mentally emotionally academically you know career-wise they're just better than me mm -hmm. and as a responsible human being i acknowledge that and i say you're more powerful than me and mm -hmm. i'm not going to challenge you but don't fuck with me this is my place in the pecking order. This is how I do life. This is where I do life. Don't fuck with me. Because if you do fuck with me, then I'm going to do everything in my power to be that thorn in your side. I'm going to make your life miserable as far as I am able. And maybe I'll just be like that little mosquito that they just like swat out of their face and whatever. But I'm not concerned with that. I will do everything in my power to ruin them. Because then it becomes a principled thing. It becomes a matter of duty yeah. for you. It is your duty to do that yeah. in that instance. Yep. And it has nothing to do in that instance with the actual effectiveness of what you're doing. Yep. Like, you have a lot of people that argue about, like, oh, well, you're not actually going to make something better. You're not actually going to affect change or something like that. But if the thing that I'm doing is demanded of me by duty, by the defense of my honor or the honor of somebody else or the honor of like a concept the honor of some kind of value of mine that i deeply hold then it to me practically doesn't matter whether i do anything yeah or it doesn't matter whether i affect any change yep. it's that i went out and died yeah for the sake of whatever it was because i will have the transgressor and everyone else know that they're not just going to do what they did without consequence. Even without, like, the 
the smallest resistance. Yeah. You're not going to get away with it and not have somebody raise up and say, fuck you. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's the Scots of Culloden. It's, it's show up and die. You have pitchforks and halberds and, you know, freaking farming equipment. And you're going up against the British who are armed with muskets and, and artillery and stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we're not stupid. We're no, we, we, we know we're going to die. That's where <laughs> all the gun guys, ballistics this, ballistics that. No, we, we know what fucking lead going 900 mile an hour does to human flesh and wood. And wood wrapped in leather. It, we know it's going to happen to us. But we showed up because you're not going to do this to us. Unavenged. Yeah. We're showing up. Mm-hmm. Well, and so this is precisely the reason behind certain other um, personal issues. Yeah. Currently. Where a thing is being transgressed. Yeah. A rightful thing. A principle is being transgressed. Yeah. And regardless of whether I affect change in what happens, I will stand up and say, no, it will not be this way. Yeah. That never, ever will it ever be written down that I sat and let it happen. Mm-hmm. And I oppose it within my power. Yeah. Because in the current instant, that is not a lot. It's not maybe as much as I might wish it would be, but still what is within my power, I will do. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's it's proportional living. Mm-hmm. You know, people say, oh, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. Do what you can. It's my argument against all these people who are like, well, you know, maybe I'm not athletic or I'm not smart or I don't have money or I don't have time. or Do fucking something. Mm-hmm. You have something. Do what you can with what you have. I'm not saying you have to be X, Y, Z, but maximize who you are, Mm -hmm. your own growth and the growth of your community with the resources available. And it's like the, you know, the parable of the one with the two minus, like Mm -hmm. do something. Her gift, her gift, the two minus to the temple is cosmologically a drop in the bucket yeah if that yeah but proportionally her gift was infinitely more than the rich man who could just dump bags of gold on the author on the altar yeah and yet how many christians do you think you could get today to apply a similar or at least a derivative critique of something like the Gates Foundation. Like, how many Christians do you think you could get today to look at something like the Gates Foundation or any any charity thing that has ever been done by a billionaire and be like, hey, wait a minute. The pocket changed you, isn't it? Like, that, like I'm the little guy, and so $80,000 seems like a lot of money. Yeah. To you, that's... That's nothing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you've done nothing. Yeah. And yet, in your doing nothing, yeah. in your truly, proportionally affecting very little change in your own life yeah. and going to very little effort, yeah. 
you are inversely gaining a lot of face. Oh, like you are doing the performance. Now you just brought down the Illuminati on us. <laughs> They're gonna be like, you motherfuckers can't say that. You can't say that what we do for the earth is nothing. That shit. You can't say that. We're gonna show up. We're gonna show up at Culloden. Fuck you all. Okay. And we'll die. <laughs> so be it. Alright, so you win. That's great. You got like 9,000 plus infinity pounds on me, piece of shit. Why don't you fuck someone your own size, piece of shit? 